Hey, everybody, this is Larry the Cable Guy. Check this out. So I'm in my truck driving with my buddy, and we was heading up to the men's warehouse to fart in the suits, and he's listening to his phone. And I said, that sounds like Hermes Sadler. He said, it is Hermes Sadler. He's got a podcast called Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I said, Sadler and the Senator? He said, yeah, that's his good buddy, Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley. I said, well, what in the world? He didn't know this. I said, did you know that Hermie Sadler was voted one of the 50 best-looking drivers in NASCAR? He said, I did not know that. I said, because it ain't true. <laughs> you never know, though. He never takes off his helmet. But I know one thing. This show, Leaning Right, Turning Left, is good. So pull up a chair right there by your phone, get yourself a cold beer, and give a listen right here to this week's episode of Leaning Right, Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I'll tell you what, I bet Michael Waltrip's even listening. He's always wanted to do something like that. Oh, Sadler, got another one over on Waltrip. Get her done! I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, and I'm leaning right. I'm former NASCAR driver and Fox Sports analyst Hermie Sadler, and I'm turning left. And we're back for another edition of Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator and we are powered by Pacematic. Hermie Sadler back in the Capitol. Senator, how are, how are you? I'm doing well. It's been a, a busy uh, seven days here in the Capitol. Uh, for those that listen to us, we are into the second, the first full week of the General Assembly, the second half, you know, we had a half week last week. It's been really busy. Things are heating up here. Things are going forward. And so we're spending a lot of time in, in the Capitol, 12, 14 hour days. Luckily, I get to spend a little time with you <laughs> in this podcast. It's a nice respite. And I must say and confess, I was supposed to be at a uh, cocktail party at the governor's mansion, but this is more important because we've got a lot to talk about. I cannot believe you passed up a cocktail party. Well, I'm going to go see him in the morning. We're going to have breakfast at 7 a.m. with the leadership. Uh, I have been hearing, not from you directly, but I have been hearing that uh, from other friends I have in and around Richmond and the Capitol that he, uh, you are now spending... A little more time with the governor these days. So uh, I, I, I don't know that he would say we're BFFs, but I respect him greatly. He has the willingness to listen. Um, sometimes you agree with him, sometimes yeah. you don't. But, but he has a quality that some governors don't. He knows that he doesn't have all the answers. He seeks the, uh, seeks the information from all of us, and then he goes from there. So I respect that. So I'm just very lucky and fortunate after being the whip for six years. Now, he's that, not uh, inviting you over in the morning to like breakfast. do laundry or. But I probably would uh, if he needed me. Swift to, the floor. Or, or Swiffer and yeah. or, or iron something for yeah, him. I probably yeah. would be willing to do that. But you he's, know what? He's a good guy. You know what I attribute that to? And it's simple, but it's effective. Communication is so important in any walk of life. And if we were listening to the last week's podcast, we talked about that. Yeah. And I think we've opened a line of communication. And certainly I go over there in the morning with Ryan McDougall, the minority leader of the mm -hmm. Senate caucus, Mark Obachain, our caucus chair, myself, who's a whip, and Bryce Reeves. We meet with him and, and the members of the, uh, of the House leadership. And we have a really frank discussion. And I think it's really productive. And I think it's really good for him to, to have those discussions as we move forward with a General Assembly, if you may not know already, controlled by the Democrats in the House and the Democrats in the Senate, but by slimmest of margin, 21-19 in the Senate, 51-49 in the House. So the Democrats have to work with him too. They're not in control of everything. And, and we're seeing some, some of their liberal bills coming out of the House, liberal bills coming out in the Senate that obviously uh, 
Governor Youngkin may be exercising a veto pen and, and running out of ink because he's going to be vetoing many things that otherwise, if Ralph Northam was still there, would have allowed happen. But we saw before Governor Youngkin came in that a lot of times bills got passed from a Democrat-controlled House and Senate that were not good for Virginia that were signed by, by my friend Ralph Northam. So it's a different year. It's an exciting year. It's a, it's a year filled with hope, but yet calm and, and trepidation because we've got 18 new faces in the Senate. We've got nearly uh, that a third more new faces in the House. A lot of people here for the first time. Uh, a lot of people feeling their own power out and, and how they want to influence things. And I think what we're seeing is if it's a bill that's not partisan but does something for Virginia or for a region, then I think we can all get behind it. If it's partisan, we've seen some partisan bills on the Republican side in the House on abortion, on repealing some of the laws that were passed when Democrats controlled the House, the Senate, and the governor's mansion, finding quick deaths. We're seeing some of those bills on the Senate side, uh, even the ones that we have, finding quick deaths. Uh, what we've been doing in the Senate side, I mean, we have things that are not partisan, but we had an argument on uh, trying to make a person that, that sells fentanyl to a consumer, somebody that, that takes that drug and dies, that they could be charged with murder to try to deter the sale of fentanyl in Virginia. Charge you would think every breathing, walking human in the Commonwealth of Virginia would go along with that. It'd be amazing. If you'd listen, and people should listen to what's going on in the committees, because that's where bills come to live or die, you would think we could find consensus on that. That shouldn't be partisan. But what we heard on fentanyl was we said, look, if there's a dealer out there, and this, and this bill that Ryan McDougal uh, sponsored along with John McGuire and Richard Stewart, if that, if that dealer knowingly passes fentanyl to the buyer, and they may say it's a Percocet when it's fentanyl, or it's cocaine when it has fentanyl, and they caused the death of the person that consumed it, they should be responsible for homicide. You would think that's a common sense bill. You would think. But the Democrats killed that bill this week. That was one of many things that, and, and, that they killed. And we listened to, we were actually in the Courts of Justice Committee just on Wednesday, and we heard family after family, and not Republicans, not Democrats, but Virginians, and they may have, most of them probably were liberal Democrat or had voted for Democrats, and they said, please pass this so that the death of my child will not be passed along to the next parent. And what we saw was Democrats having more sympathy, unfortunately, for the dealer than they did for the victim. And almost as if the, the victim should have known what they were getting themselves into. And therefore, let's not punish them, the dealer, with anything more than possession with intent to distribute, which is a much lesser crime, giving them an opportunity to get first offender status or go out into the public, you know, or get probation or serve a, a small amount of time. I thought that would have been a bill that we would find a consensus on. Instead, we went right along party lines in the Courts of Justice Committee. Those bills were killed, and we've still not found a solution. And Hermie, I'm going to tell you, I pulled up a statistic and, and talked about it in the committee. When we had over 2,000 deaths for fentanyl poisoning. 80% of those deaths, I mean, 2,000 deaths on overdoses, I'm sorry, 80% of those deaths was, were fentanyl poisoning. And then Bryce Reeves, uh, the other whip, brought up the point, which was, of those, 75% of the children that have now been abandoned by the fentanyl deaths 
uh, that are now in the Department of Social Services are based on, I mean, 70% of the children in the system are based on these overdoses, and we're not doing enough. And I argued on the floor that I represent criminal defendants. They know what the laws are. When we weaken the laws, they knew it. And they knew what they could now get away with. When we strengthen the laws by making uh, the dealing of fentanyl that causes the death a homicide, they would know that too. But the Democrats ignored it. And I think it's to Virginia's detriment. And we're still not solving a very, very serious crisis we're having in Virginia. And we're losing people's children to it. And then we're sending the children of the victims into, into foster care. And we're not addressing that problem properly. If we made that, as we argued, you know, not death penalty, but a homicide punishable by up to life in prison, I'm telling you, a lot of those dealers wouldn't be doing what they're doing. Right now, they're getting away with murder. You know, and a big part of that on the fentanyl issue, and you can probably say this for multiple issues, you know, legislators in Virginia and probably across the United States for that matter come from a lot, all different walks of life. They have different experiences, these kind of things. If, if nobody, if, if, if an issue that you're talking about has never personally affected you, you don't look at it quite the same. So like with us and me with the skill game issue, not only has my business and family and hundreds of others been, but that, that was an issue that personally affect, I saw firsthand what the government, when it acts or does not act or acts for the wrong reasons, what it can do to a business or a family, this, that's when things get personal. That's why I got personal for, for me and then ultimately for you, you know, three years ago. And so, you know, when you're talking about an issue like this, it's a serious, serious issue. And I hope eventually legislators that are elected to, you know, represent not only the people, but keep the, keep the neighborhoods safe, put power behind the law enforcement, put power behind Commonwealth attorneys, all these other people. But they seem to dismiss things like this sometimes. And I think some of that has to do with the fact is it doesn't really, they hear people talk about it and they act like they're sympathetic to it. But it's not in their But it's not in their house. Yeah, in their it's not in their neighborhoods. Yeah. And so that's a real problem. You know, a lot of times what you see with the Democrats is it, they're the upper level of society. And it's nice to have these great feelings about trying to help drug addicts. And I get that. I want to help them too. In my business as a lawyer, I get people who, to, uh, who hire me or I'm a, a appointed as their lawyer who are addicted and they're selling or they're using or they're caught with possession. We work very hard to try to, to try to stop that addiction because if you can stop the addiction, you stop the criminal behavior. You stop the criminal behavior, then they can be a productive member of society. We had another bill which basically was trying to revamp the first offender status for, for drug possession and distribution. The Democrats proposed... Striking that a part to and drug drug possession first offender status says charged with a felony, you go through a program, you succeed in that program, we reduce it to a misdemeanor or dismiss it. What the Democrats had in their bill was to actually uh, one of the conditions of probation was to remain drug and alcohol free as a term of condition. So if you didn't, then you would be brought back to the court, and the court usually, you know you know, gives them second chances, tries to help them, understands that there's failure, but knows that we have to get failure, have failure to get to success. 
And what we then had were the Democrats eliminating that from the first offender program, which said, not as a condition of, pro of probation, you can use drug. That's, that's unfortunately assisting the addict to continue their addiction. They see it as being nice and sweet and, and not wanting the best for people, but allowing them to fail. Democrats uh, were for it. Republicans stood up against it. Actually, that, that part came out. Uh, Democrats were more in line with us on that. But this is what we're dealing with here. So with the fentanyl crisis, if you tell that fentanyl dealer you kill somebody for charging you with murder, they're going to think twice about what they're going to do. Laws do have deterrent effects. And that's what we tried to do on that. On another bill, just to get off that, to go to another bill before we get to the one we want to talk about, uh, we Republicans, three Republicans, Stewart, as I said, um, Ryan McDougal, John McGuire, put bills in to roll back our, our connection with California's emission standards, which right. mandates no more gas-powered vehicles by 2035. Uh, All has to be EV. Problem is, you know with EVs, because you're a gas station owner, they're unreliable. You have to have charging stations, which we don't have. Even in the wintertime, I mean, we're seeing in Chicago, all those they froze. froze up and they're having them towed. It was a mess. We can't achieve those lofty goals that California has for itself. And we shouldn't be tied to what California wants. And so we had some very reasonable bills that said, look, let's just pull back from that. Let's see what we can do. Part of that emission standard reduction bill with the electric vehicles was that our dealerships had to sell certain percentages. Like right now, it's supposed to be 5%. We're not even hitting 2% of new car sales in Virginia for electric vehicles. We're not going to meet those goals, but we're subjected to the fines and penalties that California mandates. And so we put together a common sense bill that just said, hey, look, let's pause this. Let's not hold ourselves to those standards. Let's develop our own even. And the Democrats would not listen to that. They know it's a problem. They shut down debate. You know why? Why? Because that would be their first step of admission of guilt that the path they had taken us on was wrong, is wrong and not feasible. And it's going to cause a lot of undue hardships on a lot of people across Virginia. In addition to all the things that you mentioned, I live in a Danny Emporia, Southside Virginia. Right. We are a rural, poor community. Okay, there are a lot of people in Emporia, Greensville County, and Southside Virginia that have to have access and be able to buy the three and four and five thousand dollar used vehicles to get back and forth to work, which is usually longer miles to get to and back. To it and is from work, right? So than when, in Northern Virginia, and then it, when you when the government from Richmond or Washington or California is going to say, all these people in Emporia, Greensville, doesn't matter what your economic issue is or where you work or what your family, we mandate that you, that these are the only cars that are available to be purchased. In that world, when these electric cars the, on, the, on the, the cheapest ones are in the sixty seventy thousand dollars $70,000 range, where do the $5,000 cars come from. They're left out. They're left out. And, and, these, and these are the poor people that they, that the liberals say they care about. Say they're catering to them. And they're, they're completely not. overlooking the lifestyle decisions that these people have to make 
uh, and their livelihood. Not to mention all these other problems. You know, I, I was in the car business. I owned car dealerships for about 20 years. Mm-hmm. Sold them all to Brandon Boyd back in 2008. Um, but things that I think of, you know, that people are talking about that you never see on the news. Number one, the weight of these electric vehicles is way more in relative terms than the gas-powered equivalents. Really? Yeah. So what I about our, what about our roads and bridges? Who's going to take it? Who's going to take in consideration the additional wear and tear and damage on roads and bridges because these cars are much heavier? Well, we used to take care of it through a gas tax, but that's got to be a regressive tax as right. fuel mileage is higher in new, newer cars. We have the hybrids, and now you have the EVs that don't pay any gas tax. So it's just it's just not feasible. I'll give you a Herman Juniorism on this. We always love those. He'll say that don't even look good on paper. Because <laughs> he's a wise. Most man. time, people will say when things don't work, they'll say, "Well, well, it looked good on paper." And he'll say to this and has many times that don't even look good on paper. And then you got like in our case, we're in the convenience store truck stop business, <laughs> and it's an ongoing question of. When and how do we think about charging stations oh, right. at our travel stops? How does that happen? When does it happen? Is it mandated? Is it not? Are there grants? You know, but why should the government be mandating and or paying or spending money to encourage or entice people to go down a certain road? And I look, I, I told you knew this, but about a month ago, um, our great uh, governor, George Allen, yes. rode with me to a, a UNC-Tennessee basketball game, and we talked about this issue. And you can talk about all the the nuances and all the Dan in the weeds of stuff that 90% of the people you talk to don't even understand. And old Governor Allen will sit there and say, the government has, they just shouldn't be telling people what they should buy. And how to buy it, never mind the, the the position you're putting people in that can't afford it. But it's like, like he said, it says it so matter-of-factly all the time. Bill Stanley, if you want to go buy an electric vehicle and that suits your needs and your economic status and where you live and what you're doing, if that's better for you, no problem. I, I'm not going to hate you for it. Whatever you want to do. But you, the government shouldn't be telling me if I don't agree with it or don't think it's feasible or not as good for my family situation economically or economically or otherwise, or people that work for me, I got 300 employees. We cover all rakes and races and ethnicities. And, you know, we try to do the best we can to take care of everybody, but everybody can't afford a hundred thousand dollar SUV. And if the battery dies, it's That's 25. Yeah. 20, 25. Yeah. And plus it'll burn to the ground. Right. So it's just so many things. They rush through these things and they forget the details. They forget the real life experiences and they don't consider when they're, when they're pushing legislation, all they care about is what are the people up here that are making all these donations to me? What do they want? They don't think about the person that's working two and sometimes three jobs in Emporia, South South Virginia to make that twenty-five, $30,000 to keep food on the table. And now you're going to tell them what you're doing is it's not good. Yeah. You're going to have to do this. And 
and then they go mandate and spend money and our tax money and grants. So I pay hundreds of thousands. I'll take that back. Our companies will pay millions of dollars of income tax for this year. Okay. They'll take that money, put it into grants to encourage people to buy vehicles that we can't service them on a stop. Mm. So, you know, it's just a lot of things that yeah, people, that's a good point. you know, that, that people don't realize, you know, well, and, and it's aspirational, but is it practical? You know, it's aspirational. Look, I don't think there's a Republican that I know that doesn't want a cleaner environment. Sure. And that, that wants clean rivers and streams, but they won't even acknowledge the gains that had been made before all this. Right. You know, they don't, they don't, and there's not, it, there's so many things about Richmond. One of the reasons why I ran for office, some of these things have to be viewed, unfortunately, based on area geographically, because we don't have the same needs and wants in Emporia that they have in Alexandria or Northern Virginia or certainly California. So it's hard to make sweeping mandates when everybody's not, I mean, let's just say everybody's not created equal. One size does not. It, it, it can't. Yeah. So they're going to cripple a lot of people to simply because they want to be able to get on TV and, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. Let's get this money. Let's do this. But they're taking, as I said, small business owners like us, you know, and they come audit us every year to get as much tax revenue as they possibly can to do what? Subsidize to to subsidize our competition. <laughs> Or another way of life. Or make you obsolete. Make me obsolete. Or make me have to go spend, you know, another $5 million in charging stations to do what? To make the same or less revenue than we did before we spent that money. Yeah. Now, to your point, because I think you brought it up, the funny thing about the people that push the electric vehicles and the reduction of emissions and want clean air and want environmental justice to be the, at the forefront are the same ones in Alexandria and in Richmond that have discharge stations that puke out into the James River, the Potomac River, and the Chesapeake Bay waste. I mean, I'm talking sewage, garbage, and human waste and are polluting our streams and rivers and the Chesapeake Bay. We've been trying to get them to clean that up and stop it. So every time they have a a rain, uh, all that chemical that they put on their postage stamp uh, lawns goes right into the Chesapeake Bay. From the James River to the Potomac River, and they have one of the worst waste discharge systems. They're puking human waste into our rivers, and at the same times, at the same time, dictating that you need to drive an EV, uh, an electric vehicle by 2035. Doesn't make sense, and it's just it's hypocritical. Look, if we all stand back and say, let's address what we can. Let's use fossil fuels, natural gas, which is a clean burning uh, gas to the best that we can, while we continue to develop these natural resources or these solar and wind and, and, and electric, then, then we can get there. If we rush it, we're going to fail miserably. And quite frankly, all of these green liberal Democrats believe that when they plug in their car at the EV station, they're getting solar power pumped into their, into their electric vehicle. And in fact, it's usually coming from coal fire plants or That's natural right. gas fire plants. That's right. I mean, that, that to me, they just seem to miss it. And they missed it in this committee uh, when we were, we were arguing for rolling back the uh, greenhouse gas emissions regulations and standards from California under Reggie. They were unwilling to, 
to move off this error in their position. But even the chairman, Dave Marsden, a friend of mine, Democrat, liberal from, from Northern Virginia, said, oh, well, we're going to co convene a commission and see what we can do about this later. Well, how about start now? Decouple us from California. Because the further this stuff gets down the road, the harder it is California, to unravel it. I mean, Virginia is not How California. can any reasonable thinking Virginian look at anything in California and say, we got to be like that. Yeah, yeah. I want to have homeless people want. defecating in San I Francisco out, right here in Richmond. I went out less than a year ago out to L.A. to the Shale Motiva to a conference I had to go to. And you ride, just riding along the streets and homeless people as just miles and miles of tents and people sleeping on the sidewalks and all. I mean, and the smell, absolutely horrible. Gas, $7 a gallon. All this stuff out there. And we look at it like, let whatever y'all do, we need to do that in Virginia. I mean, it it really is. If you think if you just take a step back and take the politics out, take the money out, take the lobbying out, take all that out, how can anybody yeah. nobody in the right mind would and say But they think about it like Hollywood, Tinseltown, you know, yeah. Nice and shiny places. That's what we see on TV. Yeah, yeah. And the liberal media is not gonna show mm -hmm. The things that really make people think. And they think that, you know, having homeless people on these streets defecating uh, zombie drugs is being compassionate yeah. instead of trying to get them up, get them cured from their addictions, get them some shelter. Instead, they think they're doing the right thing. So this is a liberal utopia now in our inner cities, in our cities. And we're forgetting Americans. We're even allowing, you know, we're even allowing uh, illegal aliens to overtake our, our social services system, getting money getting services, all this stuff. They're not our citizens. And we're ignoring the homeless who are American citizens. We're ignoring the veterans who need the services. We're ignoring the mental health issues that we have with our own community because we've chosen a liberal agenda that actually says, if you're not from here, we're going to care for you and give you a lot of money. If you're from here, we're going to ignore you and show sympathy by allowing to have you to have your tent on Rodeo Drive. Well, Bill, you and I could sit here on this issue alone and probably talk for 10 hours about all the common sense reasons why Virginia doesn't need to follow in the footsteps of California on this or much of anything else as far as that matter. But on top of all that, it, it simply should boil down to the simple argument of, you know, the government shouldn't be mandating. People are supposed to be able to choose things like this. It's called freedom. Freedom. If y'all want to put make, you know, subsidize GM and Ford to make all these electric vehicles and subsidize people like me to put up charging stations for those that have them, fine. But it shouldn't be in place of the hardworking person that's bought a truck or a vehicle, or let's get in, in, in my daily business, loggers, farmers, all these people that have got not only trucks and trailers, tractors, yeah. combines. Yeah. What, what's going to happen to all these people? You can't have an electric combine. I mean, what do you, you what do you, I mean, I know some of these people so, think. So what's going to happen? We can't harvest the food that we grow? No, but a lot of these people just think that they grow the, the food in the back of food line <laughs> and put it on the shelf. I'm telling you, there's at least 20 people in the General Assembly who are elected that think in the back of Publix, that's where they grow the food. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no doubt. Yeah. But it's just, you know, so what I see, what I see in my daily life, dealing with our very important loggers, and farmers and our truck drivers carrying freight across this the United States, you know, 
they should talk to people like that because not a day goes by that is all the problems that we think we currently have in Virginia now. Not a day goes by. If you come next time you come to Emporia, if we sit right there in the truck stop restaurant at Saddle Travel Plaza in Emporia, and if they took the time to talk to the truck drivers that just walk in that are actually on the road seeing what things are actually like in the Midwest and on the West Coast and all that, they'll say, We love Virginia. And we think it's horrible. Yeah. They love it because of all these things that we're talking about. They're like, you know, the roads are horrible. They're torn all the pieces. Fuel is through the roof. This problem, that problem, you know, and these legislators need to talk more instead of to a lobbyist or to somebody that's getting paid in a high profile position to push this agenda. They need to talk to somebody who's out there on the road and living or in the field or in the field, living this. And you start dealing with a lot of people's livelihoods. Well, look at Hertz. Hertz was touted by the Biden administration going EV. They were buying, what, 20,000 vehicles. You know, everything's going to be great. They've already abandoned that protocol, that, that business decision, because it's too, too expensive to maintain. They don't have the ability to go the miles that the people that rent the cars want to go. And it was a nice flash in the pan, but it's not practical. And if Hertz, the rental car company, largest rental car company we have in the United States, says EVs are not practical and we can't make it work in a business model, what does that tell you about the individual family person that, that's going to be forced in 2035 to, if they're going to buy a new car, it's got to be electric, who can't afford it, but has to get to work. It demonstrates the fallacy of their hopes and dreams. Look, that's aspirational. And that's what we said in that committee meeting. We said, look, this is aspirational. We all want clean air. We all want clean streams and rivers. We all, we all want to do better for the planet. But their plan is a bad plan. It's bad for our people. And we have to put people first. Not a tree. Hey, you won't. Uh, I'll give you one more Herman Juniorism on this. I love that. Look, you take the glasses, pull them, put down. them down like this, yeah. and he'll say, "If it was so good, the government wouldn't have to subsidize it." <laughs> He's right again. So, and here we are. So, so what we're going to do? We're about thirty minutes in. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back because the real thing that I want to focus on is skill games. You and I started this podcast based on skill games. We yep. started a race team. We started our lawsuit. Mm -hmm. We've had some big things happen in the General Assembly. In the first week, we've got clips from the hearings. we got things to talk about. And I think this is going to be very interesting to see your government at work and working for small business. And we're going to talk about not only maybe some small victories we had this week, but the challenges that lie ahead and maybe the perilous... Oh, it's going to be a fight all the way to the finish line. So, you can guarantee that. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Uh, just like Shep used to say to us, I need to do more production. We have produced this episode in a way that you're going to be at the front lines here in the General Assembly in the first week, seeing exactly what's going on and why why it's important, why the and, skill games argument is important for you. And after we cover the skill game legislation and where we are with that as it makes its way through the General Assembly, we did make some news this week with Saddle Stanley Racing. Yes, and we so did. we want to update for the people That's on the be podcast. That's going uh, so we, uh, we got so much to talk about, Hermie. So we're going to take a little break, listen to our sponsors. We're going to come right back. But you're listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. Stay tuned. Don't go away. The good stuff's coming. Powered by Pacematic. Indeed. Hi, folks. This is Hermie Sadler. Thanks for listening to our all-new podcast, Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. I hope you are enjoying the show as much as Senator Stanley and I enjoy bringing it to you. 
Whether you're a family traveling together or a truck driver hauling freight up and down the highway, I hope you will take the time to visit one of our Sadler Travel Plaza locations in Virginia and North Carolina. Sadler Travel Plaza locations are licensed dealer locations for pilot travel centers. And we also carry Shell Motiva Petroleum products for our four-wheel friends. We pride ourselves on providing one-stop shopping for service, food, and entertainment. Our food options include Five Guys Burgers and Fries, Quiznos, Dairy Queen, Hermie Sadler's Faux Show Bar and Grill, Victory Lane Restaurant, Hunt Brothers Pizza, Dunkin' Donuts, and much, much more. Our locations include Sadler Travel Plaza in South Hill, located off I-85 at Exit 12. The Sadler Travel Plaza of Emporia, which is conveniently located on Exit 11B off I-95, and Sadler Travel Plaza on Highway 58 in Suffolk. We also have our North Carolina location, Sadler Travel Plaza in Dunn, North Carolina. That's exit 75 off I-95. We appreciate all of our customers. And Bill and I appreciate you listening to Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator, powered by Pacematic. Hey, this is Bill Stanley, Hermie Sadler's sidekick on this podcast. When I'm not in Richmond at the Capitol or doing this podcast, my real job for the past 27 years is as a trial attorney with the Stanley Law Group. Here at the Stanley Law Group, we represent our clients in every courthouse in the Commonwealth. No problem is too small for us to solve. No case is too big for us to win. Whether it's criminal charges, traffic offenses, civil disputes, litigation matters of any sort, we handle it all. We make sure that we treat every client like family because they are to us. Your problem is our problem. Your success is our success because we hate to lose more than we love to win. And believe me, we win a lot. Don't believe me? Go ask Hermie. I'm his favorite lawyer, and he hates lawyers. So give us a call at 540-721-6028 and let us help you. Or visit our website at www.vastanleylawgroup.com. That's www.vastanleylawgroup.com. At the Stanley Law Group, we'll make sure we're the lawyers that you swear by and not at. And we're back after a short break. I'm Virginia State Senator Bill Stanley, still leaning right. I'm Hermie Sadler, turning left, leaning right and turning left with Sadlerin, excuse me, Sadlerin the Senator yeah. is powered by Pacemaker. You choking on the Senator part, weren't you? Oh, I am. Yeah, we're, you yeah. were. It's hard to say. It, it is. It's hard, hard it to is. acknowledge that I'm a yeah. part of this, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, well the, the hard part is, you always tell everybody not to call you senator because that's not what your mama named you. That's but right. every time you go somewhere and introduce yourself, you call yourself, <laughs> I'm Senator Bill Stanley. So which is it? Uh, uh, we'll talk about that in another <laughs> podcast episode, but that, not this one. But hey, we're back to talk about this new bill that's being dropped. About Am I right? Games. All right. In, now, the, in get, the gallery? You're okay. getting the audience to agree yeah. with you, and that's, that's not helpful because they all are paid by me. Yeah. Okay, so, so what we that's have That's why I can rile them up and leave. Yeah, what we have here at the Capitol tonight, you drove up from Emporia. Yeah. And we got- And I didn't even get a speeding ticket. Well, that, that hurts my business. Yeah. So I need you to get those. Well, wait a minute. No, I do those for free. So that, <laughs> that helps me on time and space. But we got Aaron Arnold here. He's running the board. Mm-hmm. Aaron's our legislative aide. We've talked about him before. He sold me- uh, my RV when I upgraded when I saw yours and I needed it from a class C to a class that's A. That's a whole other thing. Yeah, that's he, an you sell him right a, a, a RV. He comes a to the racetrack on the on the first night at the racetrack. He's got a tape measure right there. He's like, <laughs> shit. Hermes motorhome is two and a half inches longer than mine is. Yes, that's three uh, we got to trade it in. And so he figured, 
the cheapest thing for him to do rather than buying four or five motorhomes was to get to hire you and put you over here in the General Assembly. That is shortening the story, but I went there, traded in my, my Class C that we had in North Wilkesboro. We've talked about that. Is that because you, you, the white knuckle effect, you, you strangled the steering wheel so tight? Screwed up the front. Screwed up the front end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he gave me a crap deal on my on my Class C. Mm -hmm. I bought a bigger Class A than I probably should have. Mm -hmm. I paid probably more than I should have. And mm -hmm. I looked at him and I said, this man needs to be in the political office. Because mm -hmm. if he can do this to me, he can do this to my constituents. Right. And plus, he, he sold it to me with a smile on his face. So, you know, he, he knows client relationships mm -hmm. and he's been doing a really good job. So we're, mm -hmm. we're happy to have him. We've got Richard Krause here. I think this may be a podcast we can do in a future Me and Richard Krause, I can tell me and him on the same wavelength yeah, on a lot, a, of, a lot of that's stuff. A, Krause is a real, yeah. Krause's, Krause's story is even bigger and deeper. That's got to be a separate podcast because we could talk about that for hours. But what so we're let's talking talk about, about skill games. Yeah, what we're talking about right now is, so just to bring everybody up to speed, in what, two years ago, three years ago? Believe it or not, three. Wow. Um, the General Assembly moved to ban skill games, which were actually games actually, of skill and chance. Our actual lawsuit was filed in June, so it'll be three years coming up in June. Okay. But before that, half. we had skill games that were sure we in, in truck stops. They were running bars. under the one-year uh, relief period under COVID and the um, ABC was involved as far as enforcement right. and, and those and kind of full things. disclosure, Pacematic is the creator of those skill games. Some of those. Some games. of those, yes. And skill games are different different than a game of chance because actually the player can win every time every based time. on their skill right. and knowing how to play the game. Games of chance, you have said historically, and, and I think perfectly, and I've repeated it even in the General Assembly, a game of chance is like a video uh, slot machine. You put your money in, you hit the button, and you, you hope. You hope and pray. You put your money in, hit the button, or pull the lever, and you just wait. You hope. And during the time and when, when the General Assembly during the pandemic allowed skill games to be in truck stops, restaurants, bars, convenience stores, that actually saved those those areas from going out of bit those businesses from going out of business. Right. Right. And then when the 972 ban came in, you and I filed a lawsuit saying that it was unconstitutional, the ban was, and it hurt small businesses. It violated free speech. We were able to get an injunction that lasted 23 months that allowed skill games, not games of chance, to come on back online. Mm -hmm. After When 972 was passed and the skill games were banned, we had a whole proliferation of these games of chance that popped up, filled the spaces when games of skill shut down. And then we fought, we couldn't do anything about that, but we fought to get skill games back online in Virginia. We kept it for 23 months until the Supreme Court said they're gambling, which is, in my opinion, a totally wrong opinion. It was right. only three justices, not of the full panel of seven. And so we've then been fighting this lawsuit for what, two years? Yep. We've helped small businesses. It got shut down, what, in November of this year? That's right. See, I'm, I'm even forgetting. And so the General Assembly kind of woke up and said, wait a minute, this is wrong. Many people in the General Assembly were surprised and disappointed at the action taken by the Supreme Court, which surprised me to agree. Well, and they, they thought we were winning, and they, they agreed that we were winning for the right reasons. I think they took it. We proved it in court. They took it for granted that this was going to be the way it was going to be. And so that was a shock to the system. But I think it woke up a lot of legislators who said, we've got to fix this because there's what? Thousands of small businesses that depend on mm -hmm. these skill games in these tight times and this Bidenomics 
to keep running, to keep their businesses running. And with that ban, uh, with the ban lifted and then the injunction granted for 23 months, they were able to survive. Supreme Court vacates that injunction, which allowed these games that had to be shut down. Different counties allowed that time to occur over time because they knew what the harm was to the small businesses. And the General Assembly said, hey, we're going to take it up. Well, guess what? The General Assembly here in 2024 is taking it up. And uh, Aaron Rouse, a senator out of Virginia Beach, filed Senate Bill 2012, uh, 212, uh, basically uh, allowing the legalization of skill games with parameters, with guardrails, a tax and regulatory framework mm-hmm. that actually is fair, I think, not only to the skill game operators, but also to the players, and also really will generate hundreds of millions of dollars to the Commonwealth that passed. Mm -hmm. You have a copy of that bill in front of you. I do. And basically it changes some of the code and the definitions of code, but it creates a statutory scheme that allows skill games to operate uh, in ABC retail licenses, which it was before. Right. ABC would regulate it as it did before. And if you remember, we had a trial, we had a full trial on that injunction. Mm Mm-hmm. And we demonstrated that ABC did a very good job in, regula- in regulating them. The taxes were paid. The riffraff was not a problem. There was no crime. There was no issues with that. There was no vagrancy. And, and they did it in a way that was responsible. And the owners that had these games in their establishments were very responsible in the enforcement to make sure that the youth didn't play the games, mm-hmm. that there was no crime, uh, and that it actually helped those businesses also too late at night when they knew those players were in there, they were seeing less crime because their, their convenience stores were filled with people that they knew and trusted. That's right. And the, and the riffraff outside didn't come in and try to rob them. Mm-hmm. And you saw that too. I mean, one of your very uh, favorite convenience store uh, employees was telling us how they felt safer yep. with those games. Yep. I mean, talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of the stores, even my stores, but especially a lot of the mom and pop operators, these small convenience stores in rural areas, with the price of goods, the price of labor, price of insurance. I sent you a screenshot today oh. of what my insurance is doing just in one oh. in one company. Just Salabotas Oil Company. That's not faux show or slip in or I mean And that's with existing employees. Existing employees. Went up you want to talk about the number? Seventy two thousand dollar increase. Unbelievable from last year to this year. And and you have how many the employees that fall under that? About 200. Okay. So think of that. That still may be smaller for a convenience store or restaurant or truck stop or a bar, but it's still significant, especially if it's a smaller number of people. It still has the same well, so percentage. It's a, it's a lesser amount of people that actually are enrolled in the, in the program, though, but that's how many employees are in that company. But the fact is running a small business has never been more challenging because so many of the costs are going up at a higher rate than we can even keep up as far as changing our margins on our potato chips and our drinks and our things in the stores. I mean, we have to keep raising prices of things to keep up with inflation. And so for them to come in and, you know, have the Supreme court, have this junction injunction vacated, it could not have happened at a worse time. Not only financially, when you take away a a financial lifeline, to a lot of small businesses in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But more than that, you put on the table the possibility of a good, hard-working, law-abiding Virginian small business owner could be 
put in jail or potentially fined $25,000 per machine per, per machine. And f- I mean, from that's one day out of to business. the next. That's out of business. From one day to the next. They're done. Oh, they're done. And the government done. shut them down for just trying to make a living on something they allow the casinos to do with games of chance, not games and of chance. And we proved, you know, and, and I, you know, it sounds simple to say, but we say it a lot because that's how you get people that are maybe not as educated on this issue to understand. A game of chance. You go to Vegas, Atlantic City, Rosie's, Rivers Casino in Portsmouth, Danville, Bristol, whatever. You sit down at a Wheel of Fortune slot machine or Blazing Sevens. You That's put, your favorite game. You put money in there and you pull the lever. And if it's time for the machine to hit, you hit. But that's and actually based the on machine and the electronics in it are controlled by actually the operator. Sure they are. Where a game of sure skill they is are. not. They they have a predetermined amount of payback that that machine's going to give back. It's going to pay back 85% or 90% or wh- whatever the number is. And it's just a luck of the draw who's sitting in the seat and putting money in the machine when it comes time to play. And on a skill game, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a, for instance, if you go to an arcade, as we all have done, and for instance, there's a guy that comes and plays the Pac-Man machine at Saddler Truck Stop in Emporia, a truck driver, well known to do it. He is a very skilled Pac-Man player. He knows the patterns, knows how to play. He'll sit down at that Pac-Man machine, Bill, and play for hours. Because he knows the game. Because he knows the game. It's his skill. So if he wins, that's not chance. That's skill. Right. And so I know the people on the other side of the skill game argument don't want to. Which would be casino. Casino. They don't want to acknowledge this. But if you are a skilled player at Pac-Man or Queen of Virginia game or going to the state fair and shooting a basketball and winning a 10-foot-tall stuffed animal, if you're skilled enough to do it, that is not chance. That's skill. Mm -hmm. And we proved that in court. And so if you go somewhere and you sit down at a Pac-Man machine, Bill, or if you're great at golden tea, if you know when you sit down that you're going to beat the game 100% of the time, you're not gambling. You're entertaining yourself and winning. Yeah. It's not gambling. Yes. But they don't. They, they, it's a game, not gambling. They they want to. Gambling call. is a game of chance. Sure. Defined in the code in Virginia sure. as a game of but chance. They gambling pur- is different. They purposely have confused people. The casinos have done With that. their Conflated. messaging. Yeah. They Conflated. want it to be, it's just totally, you know, it's not regulated. It's in these, you know, dump hole, po-dump parts of Virginia. They're nasty. I was called scuzzy myself. Yes. Last a couple of years ago in the general by assembly, a senator. they don't want one senator actually said that the people that own the convenience stores sure. are Alibaba. Yeah, and all that. Luckily, he's gone, and so all is that. the other senator that called you scuzzy. But that messaging is what they have done to confuse people that don't that don't know any better. And one, th- uh, our lawsuit, Bill, and our injunction, and the success we had, although we ultimately were um, defeated in some ways, by the Supreme Court. For those two years, here's a couple things we did. Number one, we helped hundreds, if not thousands, of small business owners in the Commonwealth of Virginia survive by being able to pay the increasing cost of employees, insurance, product cost, you name it. 
create infrastructure uh, in their business, paint, fix up, do all that. That's the first thing we did. And probably the most important, especially for a lot of people that had we not gotten that injunction in December 2021, would have been out of business immediately. Yep. Immediately. Oh, yeah. So that's Clearly. one thing we did that I'm proud of. And we're watching and businesses I know you are close too. down now without the skill games. I know. I'm proud of that. I know you are, too. I am. But the other thing that this two-year period did, when I started coming over a couple of years ago to to uh, advocate for our, for our small businesses and skill games, the perception is that the manufacturers of these games, the store owners, and the players – they're bad people. Yeah. They are. They wear the black hats. They've done everything illegal. They brought these machines in in the middle of the night and hooked them up and started playing without us even knowing, which is another lie because we proved in court that ABC did their own independent analysis, agreed yeah. they were games of yeah. skill. They approved Had the lawyers, games. investigators letters, look at the games. Sent yeah. to Commonwealth attorneys and operators and said, this is a game of skill. It is legal in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Under because, the current definition at under that current, time. Because it is not gambling. It's gaming. And so, but this two-year period of time allowed us to educate or give the people in the General Assembly on both sides of the aisle an opportunity to get to know some of these people that were being negatively impacted by this legislation. Human beings. Human beings. Families. The, the store all owners, over the Commonwealth, the players, exactly the employees Who of these small to play a skill game over the game of chance because they have a chance of winning. Hey, guess what? Here's the hard truth about that bill that nobody ever wants to say. Mm-hmm. The skill game manufacturers like like Pacematic, and not just because they're a sponsor of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Guess what? They got a better mousetrap. They got a better game. They got a better form of entertainment. Than yeah. what the casinos have. Their payout ratio is way higher way than higher. a video way game of chance. And more revenue generated, if done the right way, for localities and the Commonwealth of Virginia. Yep. But you're not supposed to hear all that. Because no, that, that ruins the narrative. They want to control it. And the other thing that ruins the narrative is the casinos that have now established themselves in Bristol, Danville, Portsmouth, and Norfolk. They don't generate the tax revenue that a skill game does in these local businesses. And what they fight us on and what they've been fighting us on is that they know that square footage of these skill games throughout the Virginia of the Commonwealth of Virginia, they can't touch that footprint. Hundreds of thousands of square feet of businesses and allowing small businesses in Virginia to participate. They don't want that. As we said before, they want to keep it small, control it all. And then when they say the revenues are down, they're going to say, we want skill games, but we'll put them in these these uh, small businesses. And we'll control and not, them and control the revenue. And not yeah. give these owners a choice. Right. And that's what we fought against. You know, you know I've said this a hundred times. I've said it on the podcast. I was against gambling. Totally against gambling. If there was a, a bill right now that said repeal allowing gambling in Virginia, I would vote for it. Might sponsor it. Yep. But when we had that vote and gambling hey, by the way, won, I feel the same way. Gambling won. Take, if, if, if we're going to get rid of gambling and gaming, it all has to go. It should all go. We, I'm perfectly fine not fighting for or having games of skill in any of my locations, but we can't have casinos and Rosies. online 
gambling and rosies and right in in fantasies you know all that but if we're going to do it then you let the small business owner and let the people decide not the ones from kentucky not the ones from chicago let the the people decide what they want to do so so to set this up senate bill 212 sponsored by a very good young man aaron rouse from virginia beach Mm -hmm. sets out really i think the framework by which we can allow this to occur it allows these games to be controlled by abc like they were before Truck stops, restaurants, bars, convenience stores, those are the places. They'll probably have some caps. Let me, on let me add one other thing. Form. Sure. The ABC component, that's what we, we're looking at, convenience stores, truck stops, restaurants, and bars that are well-lit, well-managed, regular hours of operation. We don't want skill games and vape shops and pool rooms in the back with 40 games right. in the middle of, of a back room, smoky right. room somewhere. And this law would get rid of all this that. This law would get rid of all that because you have to have an ABC license. And guess what? As a convenience store owner, I treasure and value my ABC license because... Well, not only that, you got the ABC officers that come in and regularly look at what you're doing, sure. right? And they not only can shut down your skill games, they can take your ABC license. Exactly. Which, you know, prevents you from being able to sell the other products that they oversee exactly. so 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 the framework is back where it was before in regulated uh, areas by the abc overseen by the abc that has the abc agents that can make sure everything is being uh done above board then in the registration of skill games only registered skill games with the abc in the commonwealth of virginia are allowed so that that takes care of eliminating all these illegal skill games non-skill games these actual vgt's Gets rid of all. Enforcement is made easier by this bill. And then you have actually where revenue comes to the state from the willing participants, half a million dollars for the distributor for initial registration, $100,000 for the operators. And the establishment pays $250,000, their renewal fees. But what the great thing about this is, is that when it has an enforcement provision, if they're allowing it, you know, and we raise the age to 21 to play the games. But enforcement provision, if they're violating the law, that is serious, that will make sure that these operators in the restaurants, bars, convenience stores, and truck stops will obey, obey the law. But you actually have where all these hundreds of millions of dollars will go to the Virginia Small Business Economic Development Fund. The, the, it actually allows for uh, 2% to the Problem Gaming and Gambling Treatment and Support Fund, 6% to the Authority that is ABC for implementing the chapter. That's the enforcement. 15% to the localities where the skill games are located. You're talking about a huge influx, millions of dollars to our localities where these skill games are allowed. 2% of the revenues to the Department of State Police. That's going to help our, our, our state police, our law enforcement. 10% to the school construction fund. That might be for me because school modernization fund. That's going to be millions and millions of dollars. You've been advocating and, and asking for that since I've known you over here. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then an additional 10% to the general aid for, the, for public schools in all of these areas, which they have these skill games, and especially where you're in the, in the regions with the zip codes where the, they're not as affluent as, say, Northern Virginia and, and anything else. 55% to the general fund of these tax revenues generated. You're talking about being able to solve a lot of problems with a lot more revenue generated from the taxes, from the operators, from the, the companies that are operating this, that are going to actually solve problems a lot more than what the casinos can provide. And that's what the casinos hate right now. They hate it. And so 
And so what we and have guess what here, else all this does? Hmm. Which is just as important as everything you just said. What's that? It protects the idea of fair government, a level playing field, and the free market system that used to be an important part of what we believe in here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Exactly what we argued for. Right. And have been. So we had then, so this bill is offered by Aaron Rouse, Senator from Virginia Beach. Mm -hmm. um, Well-spoken guy, too. An, an excellent young yeah. man. I mean, I say young man. Um, I guess I'm getting older. But I really respect him. He's a Democrat. Uh, but, of course, with the support of your BFF. Louise and your client. Lucas, yes. Former client. Yes. Yeah. Louise Lucas, who's also a co-sponsor on this, on this bill. Rouse is on it. Timmy French, a Republican's on it. And Louise Lucas. That's bipartisan. And actually, uh, then we had a first hearing before the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee. And so when the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee, who chairs that? You are on that committee, correct? I am. I'm and back who, on it. I used to be on it. I was put back on it this year. Who chairs that? Uh, Creed Eats. Okay. Who, who I adore. He has an Invigo Beagle like you do mm -hmm. and like I do. Mm -hmm. Great guy. Fair guy. Um, an amazing, you know, uh, lawyer too. Liberal. We don't agree on everything but a really good guy that I've been proud to serve with. He was the chairman. So we think that this has a lot of bipartisan support. You think that this should be an easy road to hope, but it's not. Because the casinos were seeing that this was going to be a problem with bipartisan support. They had to, if they couldn't kill it with public sentiment, because public sentiment, the population of the Commonwealth of Virginia are for these skill games and small businesses then they're going to do it through the machinations of the legislative process. This was the first stop. And what they thought was they had worked out a deal that this was going to come through commerce and labor, but that the casinos and the casino lobbyists had convinced the, the chairman of general laws, who is not a fan of, of skill games. And what's his name? His name is Adam Evan. Okay. That this would be heard by the commerce and labor committee, but then we'd have this huge hearing but then we transfer it over to general laws, which in my mind, when I did the nose count, they were going to kill the bill. And that's where it was going to die. And this is a bill that champ is championed by your friend, Louise Lucas. Mm -hmm. She talked to you, called you up, said, man, this is not right. We're going to fix this after we, we talked about this case. earlier. But she called me the Saturday morning after the Supreme Court ruling came down on that Friday afternoon that we actually were. I was Here. giving my deposition in the AG's office. Which I canceled <laughs> because we weren't going forward after right. that. So the, the, that, that Supreme Court uh, decision came down right around mid-morning, lunchtime. Yeah. About 10 o'clock. Okay. So I ended up going back home and we we're all disappointed, mad, upset, confused, all the things that you want to say. Well, the next morning, about 8.30, my phone rang and it was Louise Lucas. And I had, you know, hadn't talked to her in a while. Of course, I ran um, to, 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 you know, ran for Senate in the 17th District as a Republican. And, uh, but I hadn't talked to her in a while. And I remember I answered the phone and I said, you must have butt dialed me, you know. <laughs> but she was upset and disappointed in the action that the Supreme Court had taken on this issue of skill games. And she said, does your friend Bill Stanley have any legislation? I said, no. I said, because he's my attorney. 
and he he will not and cannot be actively involved at that time. So I thought, yeah, you know, in in creating or or sponsoring or dropping legislation. Right. She said, "Well, who's got something?" I said, "Well, Terry Kilgore's got what we had last. It was introduced and then pulled back." So she puts me on hold and calls Terry Kilgore, gets him on the phone, and pipes me back in. So. 8.30 Saturday morning, the day after this Supreme Court decision, I'm on the phone with Louise Which Lucas. is after the election, so she's going to be finance chair. She's going to be she's finance position. I'm going to tell you she's the most powerful person in the Commonwealth of Virginia. She calls me at 8.30 Saturday morning, got Terry Kilgore on the phone, and I go back to something I said earlier that you've commented on this too. This two-year period gave a lot of people, including probably Louise Lucas, and others, an opportunity to really better understand why we were fighting, get to know some of the people that were being affected by this. And because Louise wasn't always 100% no. on our side. She was focused on, she was focused on getting her casino, which she did. And, and that's fair. Did very well. No problem. But she called me and she said, this is unfair. I have a lot of small businesses in my district that I have already heard from. That, you know, and I guess I say that to say the casino people thought when the Supreme Court ruled and vacated our injunction that they had won. What they really and truly did was two things. They awoke a sleeping giant as far as these thousands and thousands of people that are tuned into this issue because it affects their livelihood. And... It caused a lot of small business owners in Louise Lucas's district to pick up the phone and call her and say, Louise, the attorney general's office and the Supreme Court of Virginia has just cut off our lifeline to our businesses in your district. What are you going to do about it? And to her credit, she has since that time, if not before, but at least since that time, been steadfast in saying she's never said I love these games or I don't like these. She said, we got to do what's right and what's fair. And I've got to protect these small business owners and operators in my district. And from that day until today, and I'm sure you'll talk more about how things went oh, in that we committee here. She has stood up and she's, yeah. even though it, Louise and I are friends, just like y'all two are friends, mm-hmm. we've hardly ever agreed on anything politically no but me neither one thing i can say and you i think you've been working with her closely more closely than i have certainly in the legislature whenever she tells you something you can take it to the bank exactly whether you agree with it or not cash out she when she tells you she's in on something her mind's made up yeah she's going to dig in and she's been on tv radio newspaper everything saying and look she she wins more than anybody else does yeah and and some could say it's transactional. Some say it's principle, but it's a force of personality. Mm-hmm. And she has, and she's been there a long time. She knows how to play the game and she does it extremely well. But yet at the same time, when she gets her heart set on something, you know, and she does, her yeah, heart gets sure. set on something and she knows it's going to be good for her area or for Virginia, then she's right there. And I think we've seen that now with her in skill games and she sees the harm that's caused to small business owners like yourself. But more more often in her own area, the casinos there in Portsmouth, let's let small businesses participate in Virginia. 
that's the fair thing, and she sees fairness. Let's create, let's create the framework and the taxation and the regulation so these people that operate the right way can do it legally. Right. So, so Senator Rouse files this bill. We're here in the first week of the General Assembly session, and, and Aaron Rouse, he's new. He's like a couple years in. Uh, won re-election in Virginia Beach. Big guy used to play in the NFL. Yeah. Played for Virginia, Virginia Tech. Tech. Yeah. Uh, a hero in Virginia takes the courage to take this bill because he believes in it. And he makes a presentation to the, to the committee on commerce and labor in the Senate. And we're going to break down right now, kind of like he would in breaking down film. We're going to break down that committee hearing and we're going to discuss it. We've got a couple cuts. And so what I want to play right now is Aaron Rouse making that presentation of that bill before the courts of courts of the committee on commerce and labor. And, uh, and you can hear the passion that he has and why it's important for all of Virginia to actually allow this to happen, especially now that we've allowed gaming and gambling in Virginia. Here is Senator Aaron Rouse and his position Senator on Rouse. his bill, Senate Bill 212. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I'll bring before you SB 212. Before we get started, we have a, an amendment form of a substitute. Can we pass it around? Okay, we've got a motion and a second on the substitute. All in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Okay, the substitute's before the committee. Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, I have a substitute prepared. This substitute is a result of trying to make this bill better and more transparent. The substitute also allows skilled games to operate on July 1. We've included an exemption to the APA process so they can quickly APA process so that emergency regulations um, get to, uh, they can quickly get to operating as soon as possible. I've also increased the percentage of revenues directed to the ABC from 4% to 6%. We want to ensure that we have a robust enforcement process in place, and this will support their work. Additionally, there was language from other gaming sections of the code in the bill related to FOIA exemption. I want to be very clear, Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, we are fully supportive of a transparent reporting process. My fellow members of the Senate Commerce and Labor Committee, I want to thank you for hearing this bill to regulate and tax and enforce skill games. As lawmakers, it's not every day that we get to put our names behind legislation with this much bipartisan support. By supporting the most vulnerable small businesses in our commonwealth, we're supporting the little guy. We're backing the little guy. This is something that we all can get behind. Common ground to support the little guy. And to be clear, this is a small business issue and one that impacts many first-generation Americans trying to achieve their American dream. That is why I filed legislation to right this wrong and finally establish a permanent regulatory structure to govern skill games. America. <laughs> I mean, I tell you what, he sounds like the guy, what was the guy with the, uh, the insurance? Uh, what was that guy with the Allstate? I mean, he's got that voice. And, and they're saying he may be a candidate for lieutenant governor. He's a very smart guy, a very passionate guy. I love that. And that kind he, of proves he's the, that he, he lives and, and believes in this. He's the perfect person to carry this legislation. I would agree. For a number of reasons. I would agree. Yeah, well, Democrat. For a Democrat, his area. Yep. 
And you know, if he's me, if foot, me, like, you stood up he's there, six foot seventeen. I mean, let's the guy be honest, is giant. But if me, and you stood up there, they would say, "Well, if it's Hermie, it's because you got these businesses. If it's you, it's because you represented, you know, skill games. And if it's some other, let it, they would find something to pick at. But this guy, what can you pick at on this guy for standing up for?" And fighting for the an issue like this with small business, and he's, I wish he was a Republican. Yeah, be better, but um, you can see the passion and his delivery is. And this is big for him. Look, it's big for him too. Biggest bill he's probably carried. Big, big for him too. Big impact. Yeah, and he's got a fight in front of him. This guy's fought, you know, on the gridiron. He has fought, you know, from high school to college to pro. He knows what a fight looks like, and then he got elected here in in the uh, in the Senate. And he's been a mover and a shaker, and I respect him for that. He, we don't agree on politics, but when you take away the partisan nature of, of bills and, and pieces of legislation, he's a guy that looks for the solution and, and does so in a, in a good way. And so I commend him for taking the courage, having the courage to take this bill on and then fighting for it in a way. There's a lot of people that take bills on and they go, yeah, this is the bill and here's what it is. This guy sees what it's for, mm -hmm. sees where it benefits, and like you said, he's the perfect guy to actually take that on. Now, it wasn't just him. This, this, this hearing was packed, packed with, with operators, convenience store owners, uh, bars, truck stops, restaurants. They were all, I mean, it was as full as this new committee room. And the members GAB of the other side. <laughs> Cor well, correct. But I'm going to tell you, at this point in time, they were sitting on their hands. Because they thought they had the fix. And we're going to talk about the fix. So they weren't so, you know, uh, fighting. They're sitting back because they'd already planned, as we're going to tell you. They'd already planned, well, okay, we're going to have a hearing in, in Commerce and Labor. It will probably, this bill will get out of Commerce and Labor. But we have now, as the casinos, have directed it to a committee, not going to the floor, but to a committee that they would control. And they would try to kill the bill. And so where the dynamics of the politics started right at that point, Aaron presents his, his argument for the bill. We're sitting up on the dais. I'm on the Commerce and Labor Committee. And we started having a discussion. As we now realize from the chairman, Creed Aids, that this is now, we can hear this for an hour or two, and we did. But this bill is not going to come out of this committee and go to finance. This bill is going to be redirected to general laws where they were going to kill it. And when I realized that, I started at this moment having a discussion with Louise Lucas, who is on the other side of Mark Obenchain, Cree Deeds, and then Louise. So I'm, I'm about two people in between us. And we start having a discussion that, wait a minute, why is this going to general laws? We're going to have a full hearing on this. And when we were having a full hearing, we had a number of operators, a number of small business owners that came up and talked about how important skill games were to their businesses and to the future of their businesses and the Commonwealth. And so we had one of these gentlemen here who stood up on behalf of a lot of the uh, convenience stores, and he talked about what the benefits were and why it was so crucial to allow skill games to be legalized in Virginia. Let's talk about the support for small businesses from a small business owner. Play that clip. Yes, sir. Good afternoon, Mr. Yeah, Chairman. I would appreciate brevity. 
Of course. <laughs> Unless you have something brand new for us. No, uh, I, I, I just want to give a perspective from a small business community, you know, from a small business owner. Okay, please tell us uh, who you are and where your business is. Absolutely. Uh, chairman and members of the committee, I'm Kunal Kumar, representing Virginia Asian American Store Owners Association. Uh, we represent 1,500 businesses and 10,000 employees across the Commonwealth. You know, and um, my story began in 2002. Uh, when my family, you know, moved here from India to Virginia and started its business back in 2010. And when we started our business in 2010, it was more than a business venture. It was a, it was a leap of faith in Virginia's promise to support small businesses uh, and uphold the equality, and which are the very pillars, you know, of the American dream. The story mirrors everyone's, and you know, everyone that's in the room today. You know, in this world of shrinking margins, impacted by COVID, inflation, and global events, the skill games truly were a critical lifeline to these small businesses. Skill games allowed us to stay open throughout the pandemic, and they, kept, and, and they also offered us the opportunity to keep offering competitive wages and continue to keep hiring as uh, the economic troubles were, were difficult. Senate Bill 212 is not just a piece of legislation. It is a beacon of hope for thousands of businesses in this room and many employees. And I'm thankful to Senator Rouse and Senator Lucas for championing this issue on behalf of small businesses. You know, this, this bill embodies our commitment to fair taxation, robust regulation, and a firm stance against any bad actors. Virginia's legacy to support small businesses is a promise I'm confident will continue. By voting yes on Senate Bill 212, you're not just passing a bill, but you are sustaining a lifeline for small businesses and honoring Virginia's longstanding pledge. So I sincerely thank you all for listening today and urge you all to support this bill and in doing so safeguarding the backbone of our economy. Thank you. Now that is where the community, where the regular citizen steps up, yep. comes to this general assembly and says why a bill is important. Mm -hmm. He epitomizes what is right and good with our Couldn't legislative say it process. Any better. I mean, amazing. And what a story. Coming to America, living the American dream, assimilating and becoming a part of the fabric of the American dream and succeeding. And now government is trying to tell him what he can and cannot yeah. do. I mean, that's trying, that's, to, that's trying to make business and success for his life and for his family. The side of the story that gets left out when, it's not going to sound good, but when politics gets in the way, when you're right. lobbying you're exactly right. gets in the way, when money, power, and influence gets in the way, it stifles people like that. So that's one of the things that's great about our system in the, in the general assembly, a guy like him, even though yeah. the chairman warned him to hurry up. Yeah. Yeah. Be brevet. He Be, did a great, is a, a great is talk a and did it. You know, he was spot on with his comments, but when a person who's living it and dealing with it every day, gets a chance to get up and make those comments in front of people like y'all, if, if they change one heart or one mind, up on that committee, then he did his job. Clearly they did. So when we're looking at the committee, 15 people, we had at least two Republicans uh, that said they don't like skill, they didn't like casinos. Two of those Republicans that were probably swayed by what he said. It was really moving for the minority over here on the right-hand side of the dais. And, and so then we, after we heard the support uh, side, we heard from the casinos. And the casinos were like, it takes away from, you know, even it takes away from, from a uh, lottery. We've heard that before. We had a court case on it 
And quite frankly, we disproved that. Right. And, and so when I asked them questions, we, we don't have that tape a bit, but I said, wait a minute, were you not there when Kevin Hall was deposed in our, in our court case, Sadler brother oil versus the Commonwealth of Virginia, where we demonstrated that actually the lottery did better in convenience stores where they had scratchers and the tickets. Cause guess what? People will come in to entertain themselves and they had options that were all being given to them legally, and some of them did both. Right. And so actually in your stores, we demonstrated through your statistics from sales where there were skill games. Lottery sales went up. Lottery sales went up, didn't they? And precipitously. And not just the online scratch tickets and other things went up. More people came in to to spend some of that discretionary funds with these stores, and some of them played the lottery, some of them played the machines. Some of them back and forth did both, whatever. But we actually had opportunities where our stores, we've had lottery since the beginning. We came in under the tax and regulation period under COVID and added a couple machines at certain places to simply test this theory. Okay. And how'd it go? Every store that we had, you know, you can't, it's hard to say when you've got games have been there all these years. So we had, three locations that we added games during the COVID tax and regulation period to run a test that we could talk about in court and other places to show. We didn't know. And what were the results? uh, Across the board that what is it? What is the saying? A rising tide floats all ships. Floats all ships. And that's what skill games, games that people knew that they could come in and win and play the lottery while they're there. Every time. Every time. Every time. It wasn't an anomaly, was it? Nope. We demonstrated through your own examination. And boy, I carried these stats the to some of your former uh, compadres <laughs> uh, in the Ali General Baba Assembly. And, and they, I'm going to tell you, and sometimes in life, the truth hurts, and they did not want to see no. it. And of course, if it ruins their narrative, they don't want to see it, and they don't want to hear it. And the casinos came with an onslaught, basically... That was, you're ruining lottery. And you know what ruins lottery for the locality, your convenience store or truck stop? What, what ruins your lottery sales online? Because now- They're driving get, people away from the stores. You can get a, a yeah. scratcher on your phone. Yeah. You don't have to go to your convenience store. And you don't get any cut from that, do you? The brick and mortar places like mine that have been there for 35 plus years with the lottery, getting a 5% commission- on some of the stuff we sell, but they're they're pushing online sales, phone, otherwise pushing people. You don't have to come to my store anymore. Do it right there on your phone. Well, and not only that, though, you know, when they were making the big lie with lottery, which was skill games are hurting lottery sales, they were having the biggest lottery sales years of their history. And yet we're willing to say that in public. It said that to the General Assembly, but when we got their people under oath in deposition, the answer was much different. It was that lottery hey, was not hurt and may have been helped by skill games. You can't make this stuff up. Janet Howe sat there one day because I watched it from my office and said, skill games have cost the lottery $140 million in sales. The world's coming to an end. And less than a week later in the Richmond Times-Dispatch, Kevin Hall in the Virginia Lottery announced the biggest year and the biggest <laughs> donation to public education in the Commonwealth of Virginia that they had ever had. Mm-hmm. So they had an agenda, but certainly 
one hand wasn't talking to the other hand on what their PR campaign was because it was an absolute lie. Facts are a funny thing, and yeah. they get in the way of political narratives, especially when those narratives. Kevin Hall was so mad way. at you under deposition, he wanted to beat you over the head with his umbrella. Uh, he came outside <laughs> when I was smoking a cigarette. Why would you ask me that, his ass, Bill? And he and he came at me, maybe jokingly, maybe not, with an umbrella, and uh, and because we had a- absolutely established through his testimony and your facts, yeah, and your machines and your lottery kiosks and the sale of scratchers that actually skill games helped lottery in those areas where it was both were occurring and, rather than hurt. Him. And you want the cherry on top? I do. You I got him cherries. to admit that the information that Senator Howell and others were using to create this false narrative, that those numbers and data and information was created by the the company, the VGT groups, yeah, the company that were actually, trying to kill skill games. The company that actually created the the kiosks. If you go into a store and you have one of those electronic things, we go in there when I buy lottery tickets for Christmas, and you touch it's electronic. Was actually this this a company that's affiliated with VGTs and casinos, and actually did the study uh, that that skill games hurt lottery sales. So it was a slanted study, in my opinion, yep. and we proved it in a court of law. So you know. You know what's happening? Casinos get up here in this hearing. We're talking about this hearing right now. They get up in the hearing and they say, it's hurting lottery. Uh, it's hurting Virginia revenues for our schools through lottery, which, you know, we co-opt all the time. So we're hurting actually the revenues to, to the schools. And, and that doesn't have the same regulatory process. And they didn't go through the referendum process. And they didn't do this. And it, you know what? It, it's more crime. It's, it's more problems. And allowing these skill games in these small businesses and convenience stores, truck shops, restaurants, and bars has been a real problem. So I went into... Until you went to our court case and cross-examined members of the ABC and said... The head investigator, Kirby. Any problems, any issues with enforcement, regulatory issues? No, sir. Well, they were ignoring all that until I had not tried a court case in two weeks. So I was a little little hangry. You know, I love cross-examination. If I can't do it with my kids, if they've done something wrong... I'm going to do something to, you know, get back my, my skill set, which is cross-examination. And so I got to cross-examine the lawyer, John Daniel, a great guy, by the way. Honest yeah. as the day is long. He represents ABC in the most trying of circumstances, does the best job. I cannot, I cannot tell you. He, his character and integrity is beyond uh, challenge. And so we got him up there. I took over. Creedies let me take over. We're in the middle of the hearing. They're saying how bad skill games are, and I had had enough. And I'm going to tell you, before, you had just said earlier that I did not participate. I never voted for skill games. I never I voted against gambling. But once you and I started this law, lawsuit, based on my ethics, I was abstaining from votes. So what I did before we got the General Assembly session is I wrote down exactly in a letter exactly what I was doing, exactly the lawsuit, all the other things that I'm doing, and asked the ethics board of the general assembly to give me an opinion. Can I talk about this? Can I advocate for it? Can I ask questions? Can I vote on it? Can I even sponsor a bill? And they came back with an ethics opinion that says you can, unless it affects you personally. If I owned a skill game, if I, if I was you, then I couldn't vote on it because I benefit from the skill game. If I was a, a part of, you know, the corporation, you know, I own that. Otherwise, if there's no personal benefit, even representing you, Hermie, it turned out that I could still vote to help you. Help my client because it didn't benefit me directly, even though I was your lawyer. 
So with that, then I now had the confidence to, to stand up and say, let's talk about what's true. Let's, let's beat back this casino propaganda and let's find out what's right, especially what came from our lawsuit. And so at one point in time, as a member of this committee, I had the opportunity to question one of the witnesses and here's what happened. Okay, uh, thank you, Senator Rouse. Se Senator Stanley is, is dying to cross-examine somebody. <laughs> yes, I will. I'm not sure whether it's you or... I'll start with Senator Rouse. Senator Rouse, in fact, there are enforcement provisions in there this, are. starting at line 159, ending at 165, where if the authority found someone violating uh, this, this law, that they could go to the circuit court and seek an, in an immediate injunction stopping them from that violation. Could they not? Yes, they can, Senator. And in Mr. fact, Chairman. it also has that... Um, that the, when, the reason, when the authority has reasonable cause to believe a violation happened, upon its own motion or complaint of any person may investigate that proposed violation. Is that correct? That is correct. And in, Senator question. Stanley. And, He's on and a roll. In, and, in fact, <laughs> and in fact, a single I'm violation a of this statute under this law right here, this, as proposed, could cost that operator, every single small business owner, $25,000 per violation. Is that correct? That is correct, Senator Stanley. And Mr. Stanley. Daniel, will you Mr. stand Chairman. up for a second? Senator John Daniel is the lawyer for ABC. Senator Stanley. Uh, Mr. Daniel, it's great to see you again, sir. In fact, you understood we had a, we had a very long court case about this. Is that right? And, and your head of investigations, Mr. Kirby, testified there, did he not? He did indeed. And in fact, uh, some of the questions that were asked of him, uh, Mr. Chair, if I may. Just, you may. Were, that, were there any problems with the enforcement provisions when it came to minors? And, and in fact... Uh, your ABC officer said, or the head investigator said, there were not. Is that right? Mr. Chair, that is correct. And in, so. Mr. Chairman, a couple more, I swear. <laughs> you know, I haven't, I, I haven't been able to try a court case in two weeks. I'm a little, I'm a little hangry here. And in fact, <laughs> Withdrawals, yes. and in fact your, your investigator went on the stand and under cross-examination by the Attorney General's office also said that there was no criminal activity that they noted around the games, and they had your agents who regularly visited these stores and could see what was going on. Isn't that correct? Mr. Chairman, Senator Stanley, that too is correct. And in fact, Mr. Chairman, Senator Stanley, and in fact, there was, in fact, there was no reported crime, and the only incident was someone who failed to pay the $1,000, the $1,200 fee, and that was the only reported incident that, that ABC had otherwise. Is that correct? Senator Deese, I, th I think during the course of the year, there were some other minor um, kinds of uh, activities where people weren't following the regulations where we had to utilize cease and desist orders to bring folks back in line. But with respect to um, criminal violations or otherwise, no, sir, we didn't see that during the course of the 12-month period. Okay. And final question. Senator Stanley. <laughs> final, first final question. And Mr. Daniel, from that court hearing, we also discerned and we were able to determine uh, that the ABC-controlled facilities, the ABC off-premises, uh, were worked with, with those ABC agents who regulated not only the, the beer in their coolers, but also the games themselves, uh, themselves. And they found, as Mr. Kirby testified, that to work very, very well. Is that a fact? Uh, Senator, uh, Mr. Chair, Senator Stanley, that is that's correct. That is correct. My final answer. I rest my case. <laughs> the defense rests. Litigator Peak wants. <laughs> Litigator Peak couldn't do what I just did, but that demonstrated exactly some of the crux of what your case yeah. was. Yeah. Is that, and, and and look, that's what he established was didn't hurt lottery, 
no criminal activity. Actually, it reduced criminal activity because there were people in these stores that stopped the riffraff that wouldn't were not related to the skill games, and the people paid the taxes. People got paid out. And there was no there were no problems. What it was was actually a good thing, and the ABC was able to control it very easily and to determine what was a real skill game and what was a fraudulent skill game, and they regulated and policed that as well. You got the truth out there, which you got to pick and choose. You, you very get very rarely get opportunity like that, as you know better than I do, to get the truth out there. And one of the biggest, we talked about messaging and what the casinos have tried to do. They have tried to say all along that when we got the injunction, which was not until December, to turn the of game zone of, of 2021, Oh, yeah, right. they're trying to, you know, they want you to think that, well, when Senator Stanley and Hermie Seller got that injunction to get these games on, that's when all the illegal stuff popped up. That stuff popped back up on July 1 when of 2021, when bill. 971 took the ABC enforcement and regulatory process and took it out of the stores. And then guess what? They created this vacuum and all the illegal operators in the the back room, smoky room people with the vape shops and the pool halls and all that, they brought games in, not only in buildings, but in tractor trailers, yes. mobile units, yes. all these other things. Yes. And they would play here for a while yep. until they thought. Pick up and go. Pick up and when go the to the next place. Them. So they wanted to say, and they wanted the judge, circuit court judge in that case, to think, look what you did. When in fact, Ralph Northam, by signing SB 971, they're the ones that took the regulation away and took the people that do it the right way, took their ability away and set the table for the illegals to come in and operate. And this bill, 212, as you have said, creates plenty of provisions to clean up and keep the illegal operators from operating yeah. in the Commonwealth. And what a great point. I mean, this was not a problem in terms of with skill games. Skill games turned off July 1. All the... All the manufacturers said, we're going to live by the law. Yep. What opened the door to these VGTs, these vape shops, these mini casinos was nine. No skill, no chance. Right. How many times have we seen that? Yeah. And, and so by living by the law, some of the small businesses paid the price, but others like you were tempted by the VGTs video game terminals. Oh, they called me right off the bat. Wanted to get, fill the Hermie, vacuum. Don't file a lawsuit. Give us a couple months. Once the dust settles, we'll come make a deal with you and put our machines in your store. And was breaking the law and yet called skill games gray machines. Yeah. Gray games, lawbreakers, Alibaba, SCSI. And they're the ones that have actually lived by the law through this whole process. Yep. And are now just fighting to get these skill games that their customers want back. Not games of but chance. But that's one of the most important things that this two-year process has done is it's opened the eyes of not, not all, but many legislators that they now realize, you know what? I may have had the wrong idea about some of these people. These are just good, hardworking Virginians that want the ability law to, to be able to run their businesses and raise their families just like anybody else. Yeah. So, so we get through the hearing or we're getting through the hearing. The casino sent one guy out. I won't say his name. He goes through the litany of, you know, we didn't go through this process. We didn't go through this. This doesn't have this. This doesn't have the safeguard, this and that. And I, of course, get back on the horse. Accredes allows me to ask the question. And I said, okay, okay, casinos. 
So if we put all of that in the legislation here in Senate Bill 212, will you unequivocally agree now and support this bill to allow skill games back in our small businesses here in Virginia? And he went, eh, ooh, uh, no. And I said, I think I got my answer. Yeah. This is all about their control. Sure. This is all about their monopoly. Mm-hmm. It proves everything we knew before right there in that hearing. So then we listen to the pros. We listen to the cons to the bill. We get right down to the vote. Here's where then, while this is going on, I'm sitting on the dais and I'm starting to think, wait a minute, this is a trick. Because we hear from one casino lobbyist. They've got 70 some odd lobbyists. They don't put on the full press. They, they use their old tired arguments. They seem like they're not putting up a fight. And politics, I'm, you know, my, my, my crap detector goes off and says something's wrong. So I start talking to Louise Lucas. Louise, I think they're going to kill your bill. Send it to general laws. This is not right. We just had a full hour and a half, two hour hearing on this stuff. It should go right to finance where she's chairman, but that's the natural progression. But suddenly we're going to have a second hearing on this bill in a second committee as if we never mattered in the commerce and labor committee. That didn't seem right. It seemed like a plan. And it was probably the casinos plan because they knew in Senate general laws, they had enough votes in their nose count to kill this bill. And that's where they're going to do it. They probably would put it in the committee. They, won't, they wouldn't hear it until really the end before crossover. Crossover is when our bills go over to the House. House comes over to us. They would do anything they could to squash and, and smush this bill. Louise wasn't having any of that. Louise didn't want any of that. Louise believed, as you have, have said here uh, so eloquently, in those small businesses, this was part of her bill, Aaron Rouse's bill. She don't like shenanigans. We start having a conversation. In between myself, uh, you know, uh, Mark Obenchain and Creed Eats. And at one point I'm like, I- I'm not fooling. They're going to kill this bill. And she said, I don't want that. I want this bill to, to go on to the house. And even Creed kind of admitted, yeah, yeah, maybe that's where it's going. Now, Adam Eben wants a bill. He's on commerce and labor. The fix he wants the bill. <laughs> yeah, he wants the bill, yeah. but he's against it. He wrote yeah. an op-ed in the Richmond Times. That's my point. He wants it because he is against it. He, he wrote an op-ed with Kreezik or somebody else that says skill games don't belong in Virginia. So why would you send it to that committee if you want it to take the path Have a fair down, shot. To the, yeah, down to the floor and let's vote on it there? So Louise and I are having some conversations, and you can kind of hear this. In the last clip that we have, we're getting to the point where we're getting ready to vote. The vote is to report. And, and for you that don't know uh, how we do the legislative process, in committees we vote to report or pass by a bill indefinitely. PBI, we call it. That's to kill it. Uh, report is to report it to the floor. And then after three days of reading it, uh, we vote on it. Now, we can have the other option, which is report, which is we vote for it, but re-refer it to another committee, like finance. If it has a financial impl- implication, this bill does because it generates hundreds of millions of dollars of tax revenue. So they should have a look at it, smooth out any of the wrinkles that are there. Or very rarely, you report it to a second committee and the second committee that they were trying to say because general laws chairman adam eben asked for it was send it to my committee general laws where they were going to kill it just like i said and so now the politics started to play and so what you're going to hear now is the discussion on the dais about do we report this bill and re-refer it to general laws or do we give it to finance get it on the floor and get it reported and here's what happened you're hearing it as it happened right now just have something to say. I always have something to say. She always does. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I just want to associate myself with the remarks made Lucas. by Senator yes. Rouse. 
and to also say that I know that there's a protocol that we follow, and I know this bill is probably going to go to general laws, but I hope you all are not going to fool around with this bill because I hate to have to unravel this thing when it gets to finance. Mm -hmm. and, and wait, wait, stop that for a second. With, with that Aaron, Aaron, stop that. That's the most true statement from her. I don't want you messing with this bill because I'd hate to think what I have to do when it gets there. Or what she's saying is, with everybody else that messes with the bill. Again, I'm going to say this, and I think she's earned this reputation and right. She's the most powerful person in the Commonwealth of Virginia. She's earned it. And she's probably the smartest politician I've ever met. And I'm scared of her as much as I love her. And we'll talk about what we said after that. But I mean, there has never been a better politician in the Commonwealth of Virginia that I've seen, even with the Dick Sass laws and the Tommy Normans. They, they are small and insignificant compared to Louise Lucas. When Louise Lucas wants something, especially when she thinks it's good for Virginia or for small business. Mm. With, with that said, it, mm. uh, th if, if there is a motion to report, it has to be to report and refer to re refer to general laws. General laws. We refer to general laws. That's Senator Stanley. Mick Pike. And, Here's and me. The reasoning is, Mr. Chairman. The reasoning is the rules of the Senate say that gaming bills go to general laws. The chair of general laws, Senator Evan, is her. Gambling bills go to general laws. This is gaming. There's a difference. Cree messed that up a little bit. There's no rule that says a game of skill or gaming laws go to general laws. It's gambling. This wasn't gambling. General laws, the chair of general laws, Senator Evan, has requested the bill, and I'm going to follow the protocol. Don't kill it. So, so there's been a motion to re report and refer to, to general laws. Is there a second? There's a motion to report and second. Are there substitute motions? If is there any further discussion? Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, Senator McPike. Senator McPike right here. Walls. That doesn't have to be the motion. That's Louise. That's Aaron. Well, that's, it's the, the rules say that gaming bills go to um, general laws. There were, there were elements of this bill that, that needed to be heard in this committee, and that's why I came to this committee. But the committee, the, the chair of general laws has requested the bill, and my, what I, I told him we'd do is we'd hear the bill, and if we reported the bill, we would refer it to his committee. Right, that would be the motion, and that has been the motion. It's been seconded. And discussion, Senator Stanley. Mr. Chairman, my concern is, of course, this is, this has been, I think a really good discussion about this. I think this is a very serious issue that we have for our small businesses that need to be solved. Am I biased? Yes, because I represented Hermie Sadler and we were able to, to keep these games running. But however, if we are then to break this bill, this bill, this very good bill down, there's also uh, considerations in the criminal code. So it, after general laws, does it not then go to courts of justice? Where does it stop? And so I think, I think quite frankly, uh, this this ought to go on to finance. There are elements of the bill that 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 would, would you that affect courts of justice, but the reality is this bill will go to finance. Got them all twisted up. General laws, if it leaves general laws. Well, Mr. Chairman, I, I respectfully and I, and I understand your position. Um, I was a chairman of the vaunted local government committee, and uh, nobody we didn't ask for many uh, bills 
but we got our fair share. But I think, quite frankly, after this full hearing, it should go straight to finance so we can help these small businesses. So I'll be voting no. So Louise just spoke up, said, is that a motion? Chairman. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Yes, it is. Report referred to finance. That's me. Second. And she second. Mr. Chairman. Senator Surveil. Thanks. I just wanted to make it clear because I was kind of sort of in reference by Senator Stanley, but um, I know when sometimes we have bigger bills that make, they make multiple pit stops and multiple committees. For example, we did cannabis a couple of years ago. I think it went through rehab, then it went to judiciary, then it went to finance. All over the place. Um, and that one had some pretty heavy-duty uh, implications, and 18.2 in it, it actually created a whole bunch of new crimes, which is why it went there. This one actually, I think, deletes crimes from 18.2. It actually reduces the scope, and that's why I haven't requested it as the chairman of the Courts of Justice Committee. So that's why it's not going to courts of justice. Uh, I don't think it needs to, although if anybody wants to look at it, we can talk about it, but I'm not in that. My initial reaction was no. So I don't think it's unusual for a bill to make a couple of different pit stops before it gets to home plate. The silence means there's some confusion. I just want to assure members of the committee that if this bill is sent to general laws, which Rule 18F says considers gaming and wagering, that it'll get a fair hearing. And there are several other gaming bills, including games for video gaming uh, terminals and also for different expansions of casinos. And they all have to do with, uh, they have similar issues in terms of if there are issues with uh, the age of the players or uh, tax rates or fees, uh, that they should be looked at holistically. So so that members of the committee can make assessments if there are any amendments that need to be made. So my request would be the general laws uh, see the bill as, as Rule 18F specifies. Mr. Chairman. Oh. You're, out of, you're out of order, Senator Stanley. Senator McBike. It's about time. Yeah, love that. Th thank you, Mr. Chairman. And speaking to the substitute motion now, which is to re-refer to finance and appropriations, there is considerable amount of discussion today that I think deserves follow-up in general laws, and, and frankly, we can do so likely quickly. I think there's many of us committed to getting things in place that are right, that have the right protections. In our experience, we have, in moving things along, created additional problems that we've seen and had to unravel over the years. I think there's some pretty important fixes to protect the small businesses. There's no three-tier protection system. So those small businesses, if this passes, beware. There's a lot of other things that do not and have no protections for you as currently written. I'd like a little bit, I think general law is more time to get some protections in place, Mr. Chairman. So we can kill it. Um, and <laughs> unfortunately, with the referral to finance, I would, I would be a no vote. With the re-referral to general laws to get this right for the Commonwealth, I'd be a yes vote. Um, and so it's my hope that we can figure out a way to continue um, quickly address some of the really serious concerns. He's put y'all on notice today, what his votes are going to be. be. And I'm not done yet here. Gaming, whether it be the transparency of the tax dollars, both to the Commonwealth, but also to the store owners themselves. And those are not resolved in this bill right now. Um, so thank you, Mr. Chairman. Senator Stanley. I'm back. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I did not want to imply for one second uh, that my friend, uh, Senator Evan, would not provide a fair hearing as a chairman. I, I respect that. So that's that's not what I meant. I just think this is, 
ready to go on to its course. If there are fixes to be made, that's what finance is for. Um, but I think this should go straight to finance, and that's my substitute motion. Okay, was that substitute motion second? By the okay. least. Substitute motion will come up first. Here come the vote. Come on. Um, come on, Substitute motion is that the bill goes, is reported and referred to finance. Please open, open the roll. <laughs> People are voting right now. So what you're listening to is a calculation. They close the roll. In prize 10, nose 5. So the bill goes to finance. <laughs> and without looking, is it, would it be proper to say that the, the... Big victory. The senators that wanted it to go to general laws all voted no. No, right. The five that did. Yeah. So on the Democrat side, it was Louise Lucas... Mamie Locke, Aaron Rouse, and Lamont Bagby. Um, and all six Republicans on my side with the two that weren't for skill games, but actually listening to the hearing, turned their votes back to support of skill games and small businesses. They were all looking at me like going, this is actually a good bill. Voted for us. So we, we blocked our six. We, right now it's you know, nine, six on the community. And we, and we pulled four Democrats, Louise, Lamy, Mamie, uh, Bagby and Rouse. Rouse. Mm -hmm. We were 10, five. And so clear victory goes on to, to Senate finance. Louise, Lucas what was the reaction? Cause I was, what was the reaction in the room after the vote? Okay. So for skill game operators and for the manufacturers, elation, quite elation, just not a Vic, not a, one hurdle cleared. No, it was, yeah, it was, they live to fight another That's day. Right. Yep. In the casino side, which actually, if you're from the dice, it was over in a small corner on the right. Complete and utter shock. That their game plan, their, their sublime game plan had been utterly defeated. And that they were now dealing not with, not with one or two people. They were dealing with the 2,000 pound bear that had exercised her authority, and with the support of the Republicans, which makes their deal harder. But now, what you're going to see now, it's going to go to finance. They're going to refine it, kind of clean it up. There's cleanups. Mm -hmm. Finance deals with the some of the policy, but really the financial. They're going to get a financial report of what this is going to bring to the Commonwealth. I'm telling you, 200, 250 million a year, guaranteed, not regressive tax or 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 revenue generation. It's going to get bigger. They may limit the number of machines through the Commonwealth. They'll do some ref refining, create that clear guide path for the tax and regulatory framework. And then they're going to cross over. That bill now is going to get out of finance. It's going to the floor. We have the votes in the floor. It'll pass. You need 21. There's going to be more than 21. What you're looking for is veto proof or emergency legislation type numbers. It's going to go to the house. And that's where the fight begins again. You can't rest on your laurels. This is a, not a Pyrrhic victory, but a temporary one. Yeah, sure. What's happening now is the casinos have moved their game. They've taken their, their tent from their circus and moved it over to another piece of land here in the Commonwealth, which is called the House of Delegates. You think they're going to talk to Barry Knight? I, I would think. <laughs> I would think. <laughs> Just think. might, might have an opportunity to in the hallway to speak to your friend, I'm Barry Knight. I'm that's where it's going to be. Yeah. But, you know, you have a different setup now. You've got one-third of their membership, which is new. 
not bound by what the casinos have done to them. Maybe casinos gave them money, you know, but that doesn't create a quid pro quo. But you got fresh eyes, fresh ears, fresh faces. I think that may help where we got, but they, but what they're going to try to do, and sp- and the speaker, Don Scott, directs where this goes and what committee. If it goes to general laws, you got Krizik and you got some members. I think Knight's on that committee. Yeah. You've got a harder road to hoe. Mm-hmm. If he redirects it to commerce and labor, I think the votes are there to get it to finance in the floor, appropriations, they call it, in the floor. Mm-hmm. And we may have a bill that goes to the governor's desk. And I'm going to tell you right now, governor's professed support for this, but I'm not going to trust it because the people around him yeah. are not being, they're, they're playing it coy. Right. And so this is, a, this is a one stop in a battle. This is a battle that is won, but a war still must be fought for small business. Uh, for doing what's right. And and we are, listen, I'm going to tell you what, we wouldn't be here unless you, Hermie, came to me uh, in our, when we were It's all my fault. Yeah, it's all your <laughs> fault. We would not be here if we didn't say when, when 971 came about, man, this isn't right. Let's fight for small business. You and I in that one night, we've talked about it before. Maybe had a couple cocktails, thought we were 10 foot tall, but we said, we're going to do this for the grassroots, for the right reasons. It sets a horrible, started on up. top of everything else, it sets a horrible precedent. What, us the, drinking the, at the Wood and Green? And well, that's horrible in that. itself. <laughs> but it sets a horrible precedent for the government to pick, how many times have we said it, to pick winners and losers. And if you let them get it done on skill games, what's next? There'll be other industries, other businesses, other families that if we set a precedent, a lot of, a lot of precedents have been set in this process during our lawsuit. Yeah. The, you know, legislating through the budget and the, oh, yeah. all the, you know, the single object rule discussions. It's, yeah. it's been good stuff, groundbreaking stuff that we've seen on this issue. And so th- the fact for me is, do I want the gains because they provide revenue for a lot of businesses? Yes. But really what I want more than that is for our government to be fair all day every day level playing field and our our two year success story that we had has really helped the skill game industry maybe not all the way there yet but start to take the black hat off and put the white hat on because some of these legislators at least the ones that are that call me because i've decided in the first part of this process at least to fly under the radar i've told everybody yep. If you need me, I'll yep. come. But this is a fight that shouldn't be about me. Right. This is a fight that should be about the Constitution and fair government, all the other things. Uh, but yeah. th- and, and look, part of the White Hat thing has been this podcast. Sure. We want to talk about the race our struggle, team. our fight, the race yeah. team, yeah. the series, the smart modified mm-hmm. series, the, the going to the short tracks through Virginia, yeah. actually showing. Well, my and, point, and, my and, point. And, the, and the company, uh, Pacematic, has yeah. shown incredible concern for the communities yeah. that they're in. And for the people, it's given the it's, it's, it, my so point. I, I was getting credit. to. I mean, I'm not saying that because they're sponsored. Yeah, that we they sponsor. But, but what I'm saying is this I whole would, this whole I process. I tell you the truth if I didn't believe it. This whole process, I've had legislators call me and say, you know, two years ago we all were told how bad this whole thing was, including you, meaning me, and all the people involved in it. And now that when I start getting the truth, legislators tell me this. When I start getting the whole story and the gravity of what's going on, I don't feel the same way that I did a year ago or two years ago. Amazing one. So 
the full perspective. Yeah, get the full perspective. So here's where we are right now on Thursday at the, at, this is the first full week of the general assembly session. It has cleared one hurdle. It goes to finance where it will clear that hurdle and it will find itself. Then it's going to go to the floor. This podcast is going to track this bill mm-hmm. for small businesses. And that's why you need to listen because it's not just about skill games. It's the legislative process that we're trying to teach you about. And also if it's this issue and big corporations are trying to trying to hinder your ability in the free market system or your freedoms and liberty, we're going to call it out. This is a good lesson. This is a great lesson to determine for ourselves, for us as a people, is this a representative government or is it a government uh, run by, from the top down, right. from the corporations down to us? I think this is where citizens stand up and have stood up and are overcoming government, as you said, overreach to allow the free market system to reign once again for us to determine our own fates, especially in a gambling and gaming marketplace that was opened up against my vote and have now allowed those big casinos to come in. Is it just going to be, the question is going to be, is it just going to be the big casinos from Chicago and Vegas and Kentucky? Or are we going to let the small business owner in Virginia participate in this new industry that we've created? And I think this is one big step, but we got much to do. You asked me when, after we lost our court case, what my belief was, whether we could get I can't wait to hear this. We got legislation. <laughs> you talking about a roller coaster. Eight, eight, and I think I said eight out of 10, right? Be honest. You said 90. Nine, I said nine out of 10. You said okay. 90 and I said 40. Yep. And then it was 80. Yep. Then it was 70. That was a private phone call. You're not supposed to tell then me Then he, you, you know, on one of these That's phone calls, a, you now, said, now you're just Hermie, I'm trickling down, down towards uh, maybe 40. Where no, you I didn't are. go fifth, 40. I never went below 50. You went 40. I went, uh, you tracking towards 40. That's some BS. Maybe so my where you wife at said now? that in the background. Where are you at now? I'm back at 80. Not to 90? Nope. I'm back at 80. 80. Okay. 80. 80. But we, so there are many miles yeah. to travel. Yeah. We've got to get it to the floor, which it will be. I mean, so for let's those put, that are put you on the score, Rebel Yell over at King's Dominion here in the Commonwealth of Virginia. <laughs> you were on the top of the hill, you went to the bottom, and now you're now, climbing back up now, the second hill. Yeah, and okay. now I'm holding on for dear yeah. life. Okay, I got you. Yeah. yeah. So I can guarantee you this it's going to get out of finance with revision, mm-hmm. with guardrails. It's going to go to the floor, it's going to pass out of the floor of the Senate. And then we will recalculate where mm-hmm. I think I should be and where you are. When it gets to the house. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the big thing. Does it go to general laws or does it go to commerce and labor? If it goes one direction, then we may have some peril. If it goes to commerce and labor, I think it has better. Even with appropriations, still some challenges. We've got that in front of us and we've got a month and a half to talk about it. That's why this podcast is here. One of the reasons. And then the big question based on what you and I've been hearing recently is when it, if it gets, if it gets to the governor's desk, what's he going to do? Yeah. And that's another discussion for another time. Yeah. So that's that's where we are right now. For If you're interested in following skill games, that's part of what we do. That's Hermes' fight. That's been our lawsuit. That's where we are. Now we're in the legislative process. This is a big journey, and we've, we've kind of got to put this in our diary, and, and you're listening to it as it happens. So we're going to end the leaning right part, and let's well, talk as wait, we wait, finish wait. up. I, I want to wait, and you put the turning left stuff on next week's podcast. So you're going to hold up for a week. We're almost two hours in okay. to this podcast. <laughs> but you got some answers. I've got some answers. You've, but got, I, the, you've got direction. I think, I think let's come back next week. We've got some other things, some other 
updates and things on the legislative side to catch up on some other bills. <laughs> we maybe, got a lot to talk about. Maybe a bill we related a to autism and other things yes, that you want to yes. talk about. Haley's bill. And let's give a update on Sadler Stanley Racing on next week's podcast as well, because I don't want to cut Teasing. it short. But, but I, but I, but we, two hours, people are ready to take a leak. <laughs> Just like you are. People named Hermie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. For the first time, I'm going to agree with him because usually I want this thing to go on and go on and go on. But I'm going to tell you this. Thanks for listening. What we're talking about here is really important to the Commonwealth. As I said before, it's not just about the issue of skill games. It's about your government. Yeah. It's about getting involved. It's about knowing what's happening, following it, and understanding that your future, whether it's your convenience store owner or a small business owner or somebody who works for somebody else, is always in the hands of the government. And unless you fight and make your voice heard, then the government dictates your fate. And that's why we stand here today. That's why we talk about this thing, because we want small businesses, every citizen in Virginia, to be a participant because you got to keep government honest. That's what we're doing here. We talk about racing. We talk about wrestling. But we talk about politics. Today's been a very politics-heavy um, uh, episode, but we've given you total insight to the committee hearing and how we are and why we are here right now. So, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this episode. I'm cross-examining Bill Stanley, Virginia State Senator, full of myself, 10 foot tall, leading right. And I'm Hermie Saddle, and I'm turning left. Thanks again for listening. Thanks to Pacematic. They've been by our side really for this entire thing. And thanks for the support for, from small business owners all across the Commonwealth of Virginia. This is Leaning Right and Turning Left with Sadler and the Senator. And as always, we are powered by Pacematic. See you next week. God bless you all. It's Conrad Thompson with SaveWithConrad.com. You've heard me bragging on the podcast for years about helping people save money on their current house. But did you know that I can help you with your next house as well? That's right. We can get you into your next house with zero down. No money down loan programs are still available. And I know it sounds too good to be true, but we can do it for you. And by the way, home ownership is more affordable than you might think. We routinely turn renters into homeowners and we hear back that their new house payment is more affordable than what they were paying in rent. Why would you keep doing that? Stop throwing your money away, paying for someone else's mortgage and start building wealth for your family. And let my family help at SaveWithConrad.com. You don't need perfect credit to do this. We can improve credit scores down to the 500s and it's worth mentioning, we never say no. We say not yet, but here's how. You need a game plan to buy a house, and that's where we come in at SaveWithConrad.com. We'll ask you, what down payment do you want to make? And zero is an acceptable answer. And what monthly payment do you want? And then it's time to go shopping. Find out how easy it is and how affordable it is to become a homeowner at SaveWithConrad.com.